when we were worshipping, I had a couple of things. First of all, I just, um, you know, big shout out to Aaron and the guys at Tarautini because there are a couple of songs that I think have been really, um, really timely. And, um, you know, obviously we, we sang Tuia today and um, the um, Kiakaha um, is another one of theirs, which just has, um, I, I think has, been so timely for New Zealand, it, it preempted what we were coming into um, in this period of COVID, and the um, the ideas of um, following the Father's will, following His heart, the the cornerstones of of love that that it, that is so critical, and that our freedom is from the Lord, that um, that that He is. Um, that he is our um, ruler, and he is the one that we are subservient to. Um, and when Anna and Nick were leading us in that, they um, were both repeating a, a phrase um, in the spirit of, it's a new day. And um, that really resonated with me, and this isn't actually officially part of the sermon, but I do think before, I go into the teaching, we need to, we need to go through this. Um, in Jeremiah 42 and 2 Corinthians 3, there is um, a, a combination of ideas that, that I think we really need to go through. Um, there's a call to forgive. That um, there is a call to remain, to stay, to be planted, even if there has been hurt even if it is tough, even if it is painful, um, that we should not be easily offended. And if someone has hurt us or offended us, not to hold on to it. We need to forgive quickly. We need to comfort one another. And we need to reaffirm our love for one another, particularly for the person who we feel um, has hurt or offended us. We need to do this because we cannot let Satan take advantage of us. And I think the way things are in the world, we really, really have to press into those things. Press into um, th this, th these gifts that um, God has, has given us. Um, and he says, if you remain, then I will build you up. And in one, he's, he's talking about if you physically remain, and in one, he's talking about if you spiritually remain. And I think it's, it is important um, that we, we do so. Um, and yeah, that, um, that I'll just lead us in a prayer for that, and then we'll go into the teaching. Lord, it has been such a fractious time, um, and it has been really hard not being able to, to gather together. And Lord, now that we are, now that we are able to celebrate, and how timely that it is on the Palm Sunday that we can gather together. But Lord, I pray that you will um, keep us planted in you. Lord, where we, we are struggling to forgive, where we are struggling with hurt, Lord, I pray that your... Um, forgiveness will overwhelm us, that 
you will step in and you will fill in those breaches, Lord. Like, like Thomas said, you know, um, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Lord, we forgive, help us with our unforgiveness. And Lord, we pray that, um, that you will really help us to reaffirm one another in our love for one another. That any differences, any offenses that, that um, have been caused over things that are not, um, not important, really, Lord, that they will fall away because we are bound in you and we are bound in love. Amen. Oh, and Lord, I pray that if there is anything today that I say that causes um, hurt or offense, that you will forgive um, and um, that you will let the good, good seed land well. Amen. So um, I feel today should be come with a little disclaimer. Um, I've been praying a lot over what today, and there have been several things that have kept coming, and I've got a kind of loose framework, but I feel it hasn't been framed as beautifully as I would like. And so I've stolen, um, I was talking to my friend Gillian about it last night, and she gave me a beautiful image for it. It's like I've got all these ideas, all these things, and I've put them in the, they're, they're like snooker balls, and I've put them in the triangle, and they're all in that kind of triangle frame. And now I'm going to hit the white ball, and I'm going to hope that one of those snooker balls lands in your pocket, and you can take it away. Um, so that's my beautiful imagery for you stolen from Gillian. Um, although she said... Hopefully something lands in their hole. <laughs> I thought, I'll go with pocket. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I also brought up, um, put up the Bible verses on the slideshow. I was so pleased with myself for remembering to send the slideshow last night. Completely forgot to tell <laughs> um, Sean that it's there. So um, sorry, there's no, the Bible verses are not going to be up behind me. Um, so today we're looking at two ideas. There's um, Palm Sunday, which we've just had the reading of, um, and I will read that from John as well. And we have It Is Finished to go on with our, um, you know, the, the sayings of Jesus. Um, so John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your daughter is coming. Sorry, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Oh dear. <laughs> um, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
and doing John 19. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. These two sections of the Bible um, really got to me as a child. And sometimes now, if I'm honest, there are some things that lead me to ask two big questions. One, how did they go so quickly from this day, Hosanna, to crucify him? It's insane how quickly that happened. It's a sociological question. But a few days later, he's hanging on the cross saying, it is finished. And my follow-up question is, what is the it that has finished? And I think you'll know the answer, but I think you'll see why I had a problem with that um, later on. So first, how did they go so quickly from Hosanna to crucify him? It's really depressing to note that we don't need social media and the internet to be swept up in the moment and swept up in conspiracy theories and sucked in. Um, conspiracy theories are what sucked humans in at the start. In Genesis 3 it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He was just asking questions. The key was how he asked the questions and who Eve and Adam went to for the answers. Initially, Eve quotes God directly back, but asked again, begins to look and think, and then decides for herself. And Adam decides for himself. We see it over and over again throughout history. A question is asked, and the answer gets sought for in the wrong place. Someone who doesn't have the knowledge and the authority takes it upon themselves to give the answers. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey and everyone's cheering, the Pharisees talked among themselves. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world's gone after him. They didn't look to God for their answers. They didn't look to the scriptures. They didn't look to Jesus. They looked at their loss of power, their loss of status. Now, um, my between Testament history is not fantastic. So correct me if I'm wrong, mum. You might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that the Pharisees um, were not traditional in the sense of the Levitical priests. The Pharisees were, um, although of course the chief priests were also part of this gossiping 
set. But the Pharisees had been, um, had, had got their position with the rebuilding of the temple. Um, so they, they did not have, um, they, they couldn't go back to um, scripture, to, to the ancient scriptures and say, this is why we have these, this authority. And so it was an area where, I think, to, to be blunt, they were. Um, they knew they didn't have the same sort of authority that the Levitical priests had, for example. And so this question of whose authority do you have was actually their weakness. And it was, it was the... It was uh, the devil stirring up that weakness. Here is someone speaking with true authority. What's your authority from? And their reaction was not to cede to that authority, but to worry about their loss of power. Is that correct? Is, um, so, yeah. Um, so, but the, that thing that so often, it's, it's such a human thing that when we see something as a loss of power, a loss of authority, a loss of control, we, we get really threatened by it. We like to be in control. We like to have power authority. We like to know, think we know what we're doing. And so we, we look at the, the Pharisees, I think sometimes really, really harshly. But I know that these are things that I am just as guilty of being able to feel threatened by. And I know that there are times when I get called out on it. Um, as a teacher, it's a really, really obvious thing when you don't have authority in the class and a student has taken the authority in the class. And so often, the reaction that comes up from me, the, the instinctive one, is a really negative one. It's a way of coming down with really harsh discipline, which actually makes it worse. Um, I'm sure many of you have been to, in a classroom as a student where that has happened, you know? And you can, you can see where the, the teacher has lost control and it has gone messily because of the way they have handled that situation. So we all are susceptible to this. But in his unfathomable mercy, one of the things I love is that God used this very brokenness to finish his will. This very brokenness that makes us susceptible to conspiracy theories, God actually took advantage of and used to fulfill Jesus' destiny. So, Jesus knows what he is doing. The conspiracy heats up as Jesus enters the city. In Matthew, straight after the triumphal entry, we read the account of Jesus calling out the corrupt behavior in the temple. Jesus had been going to the temple all his life, just about apart from those few years probably in Egypt, but it had been 
a regular thing. He all, had always gone to the temple. We know stories of him going and speaking at the temple as a child, um, getting left behind there. Um, totally something I would do. Um, leave my child behind there, not stay and teach. <laughs> um, you know, it's, he, he goes there and on this day, he's just provoked this response by, by, with this triumphal entry. And then he goes, he upturns the table, he calls out the corruption, the corruption that has been there the whole time. And you know what? There is no evidence that this corruption stops. No one comes out and says, oh, sorry, yeah, Jesus, you're, you're right. We've, we've not been doing things. Nothing like that happens. Jesus doesn't stay there angry, yelling, berating from a protest. He tells them, and then he shows. This is the thing that Jesus does his entire ministry. He tells, and then he shows. He says, this is corrupt. This is not what the temple is like. This is not what it should be like. Says he then healed the blind and lame there. The blind and the lame were most likely people who were being taken advantage of in this corrupt system. The poor, the people who are being taken advantage of in this corrupt system. This really annoys the temple leaders even more because once again, he is showing them up. He's saying, this is wrong. This is what this place should be like. He didn't destroy anything. He didn't tear down the temple. In fact, the only time he talks about tearing the temple is when he's talking about his body. And he says, if you tear it, I will rebuild it. God is not in the business of destruction. He's in the business of building, rebuilding, building back better. I know we love to think that we can, but we just can't without God. <laughs> um, and so he, he models, this is what it should be like. And then at the end of the day, he leaves. He's done, he's shown, he's told, and then he leaves in peace. He doesn't hold on to that anger. Because it says, we should not hold on to it. We should not let the sun go down on our anger. But of course, you know who does hold on to their anger about that whole situation? The temple leaders. They are really, really annoyed. He's coming, got all these hosannas, got all this attention, got all this praise. He's told them publicly what they're doing wrong, and then he has modeled them what should be being done there, how to operate in love, and then he's left peacefully. It's really hard to argue with someone like that, you know? Um, yeah, just really, really difficult. So they get really upset. And again, they ask questions. Who does he think he is? The Messiah? Who gave him this authority? And the next day, when Jesus was teaching in the temple, the leaders came and asked him these questions. They didn't want to hear his answers. They wanted to stir up trouble. Who gave you this authority? What authority do you, do you have to teach? 
And so fast forward to a few days, we end up with Christ on the cross saying, it is finished. So I'll just pause there. So I discovered the answer to my first question was a really depressing one. How did we go so quickly? Because we believed in gossip. Because we took, took our questions to the wrong places for answers. So now we're sitting there. Jesus is on the cross and he's saying it is finished. And my second childhood question and much of my adult life's question is, but what is finished? Because as far as I can see, it doesn't feel finished, it's not finished. I look around the world right now, it's not finished, doesn't feel finished. We've still got these conspiracy theories, we're still messy, we're still looking to the wrong places for answers. But also, just going on a purely, you know, Easter thing, I thought the resurrection was really important and he hasn't even officially died when he says it's finished, let alone be resurrected and that's like the sealing of the deal. Um, so what's finished? Because his death hasn't quite finished, his resurrection hasn't even started, the kingdom doesn't feel like it's here sometimes, most of the time. And then something happened. I'm really excited that James talked about the Samaritan woman at the well yesterday, last week when you're doing I, I Thirst because I'd kind of been battling with this question for a long time and I read this and a penny dropped. Now, I don't know about you, but there are bits in the Bible where you know them off by heart. I've had to learn them off by heart um, thanks to my um, fantastic childhood. <laughs> Um, many of them in songs. Um, but in um, John 4, we all know the story of the Samaritan woman. You don't have to be in the church very long before you will hear that story. It is one of the top talked about stories. Yeah? Where Jesus reveals himself as the living water, the water that means that we don't, um, that we, we won't thirst again. And um, later on in John 4, just but after that, there's a bit where Jesus, and this was a bit I had to learn off by heart, where um, it says that the harvest is, is ready. You look and you say it's a few months away, but it's ready now. Go and harvest. But I read it again, and it blew me away. So John 4, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Did you get that? That's really the best. I've been buzzing about this all week. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We have been so excited about the living water and so, um, I guess, nervous about the harvest um, and having to reap that we have missed the food. The food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what is finished. On the cross, Jesus breathes his last breath and says it is finished because he has finished the Father's work. Jesus came as a fully human man, but also fully God. He lived his life, shared how to live, showed how to live, and then died so that God's work could be finished. This is God's creation being finished. He humbled himself in every way, but he never lived like it was a shameful thing or a terrible thing to be human. He never said, oh, this body is not the right body for me. It's all in the mind. My mind has power of my body and what I think is true. He, he fully lived in his body. That was, that was part of the deal of being fully human, is accepting. This is the body that God the Father gave Jesus to be in on earth to do the things that he had to do to live a full life. Quite often we think of the body as a bad thing. And I think in society so often we think we have to, we talk about retraining the body and, and bringing um, the body in line with our, our mind. Or if we don't like our body, well, our body doesn't really count. And, and it's all, you know, what we think that's important, not the body. You know, we, we, we play these kind of word games um, to convince us but Jesus was really comfortable in his own skin. He did not let his physical body hold him back. And his whole life, he never let the restrictions that we talk about being put on him restrict him. He never mourned the restrictions. He did struggle with some of the things that God had him, to, had him do, and we know this from Gethsemane. But he's not ashamed of this. Just as he showed us in the temple, just as he showed the disciples how things should be in the temple, he shows us how we should live in our bodies. He showed us so that, as Paul might say, we also might be able to finish well. His food was to do the will of him who sent him. You may remember when I spoke on Behold a couple of weeks ago, I told the story of Jesus saying, for whoever does the will of God, is, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Finishing well isn't a last-ditch effort. It is entirely dependent on everything that has led up to that moment. You can only finish well 
if you have lived well. Jesus can only say it is finished because of how he has lived completely. As he prayed at Gethsemane before his rest, arrest, not my will, but yours be done. The thing is that prayer would have been meaningless if he hadn't lived his life in obedience to Christ up until then. So at this point, we realize that when he says it is finished, that it is a life that has been fully, a, a mortal human life that has been fully lived in accordance to God's will. A life that has been fully lived the way that God designed and, and willed right in back in, at the start, right back in Genesis. You know, because Adam and Eve did not, no one had lived a life fully there. I also find it kind of ironic that I know the story of the woman at the well so well. I know the story of um, how she didn't really fully get the, the fact that he was talking what he meant by living water for so long. Um, and that often gets talked about, but we, we often miss out the fact that, you know, the disciples didn't get what he was talking about with the food either that he had to really spell it out for them. Um, it doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. These are hard things to actually really wrap your head around. And I find it quite ironic that I completely missed the bit about the food, just like the disciples for so many years. Um, so, um, What, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? He talks about it really clearly when he says it's that the harvest is ripe. You know, that's, that's the will. And I don't believe this means we have to Bible bash everyone to thresh the harvest. But it means we need to tend the harvest as appropriate. And if you um, have been watching the news recently, you'll have seen... Um, the stories about um, farms around New Zealand and orchards around New Zealand and talking about how it actually takes time to train people up to harvest crop because different crop has to be tended carefully in different ways. And if it isn't taken at the right time, it falls off and rots. Fortunately, it can then, you know, fertilize the ground and be good for the next crop but that, that some, yeah, you t go over it with the, with the threshing um, machines and the cropping um, kind of thing, harvesters, combine harvesters. I've got a brand new combine harvester. Um, so you, you take those, and yep, that works for some. And I, that makes me think of, you know, like the big, massive cruc Billy Graham crusades. You know, that's, that's taking in and, and getting this big bulk harvest with a combine harvester. But some might be more like kiwi fruit, where you've got to kind of duck. My uncle's got very scratched head because he has a kiwi fruit farm and he's tall. Apparently it's not a good combination. 
proposal. <laughs> um, but you have to be very, you have to be much more gentle. You have to be very careful with kiwi fruit. Um, we know Fijoas, there's a beautiful article about Fijoas being the socialist fruit of New Zealand. I think they're up there with Cape gooseberries as well. When the Fijoa harvest comes, you, they can't store, they don't store. So people who have Fijoa trees, it all comes, even if you love Fijoas, you can't eat them as quickly as they come on the trees. And so you're just giving them out to everyone who wants them. Here, eat. Do you want Fijoas? Have Fijoa, have Fijoa. Everyone's giving away Fijoas at the same time. Short, season, abundant, but you've got, to, you've got to harvest them quickly. They don't last long. And there is a very, very short time when you've just got to get them. And it's abundant. And you're working flat out for that time. And then it's like sit and rest for a few years and don't get any fajoa for a year. Um, for a few months, sorry. Yeah, don't get any fajoa for a little while. So, you know, I think the harvest is ripe. But we have to be wary and we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit to know how do we harvest this fruit. And I want to say also here that sometimes we think of witnessing and harvesting fruit as sharing the gospel with people. But it's not just this, you know, have you heard about Jesus? Have you said this in his prayer? You know, it's not just that. You know, all the parents around the room, they know I'm sure you've, you've done this. It's the random weird conversations you end up having with your kids about doing the dishes um, or just in the car um, about that person over there who said something mean to them. Um, these, those conversations, when you're at work and someone says something or does something and you can speak peace into that situation wisdom into that situation. It's the big moments and it's the little moments. And Christ was so good at that. He was so good at the big and the little. And we see that one-on-one -on -one teaching that he gives to people. And we see the big, massive 4,000, 5,000 crowds, people gathering to hear him. So we need to, to be listening. How am I um, how am I being a witness for Christ in these big and little moments? And if I think God is showing me something, what does he want me to do with that? What's, so not just having the words of knowledge, but having the words of wisdom and what to do with them. Is this something that I am to speak? Is this something that is to guide how I pray? I know there have been times when I've seen something and I have thought, God, I cannot say this to this person because I don't know them well enough. And it's a really hard word. Or... I cannot say this to this person because I don't know how to say it without it sounding really hard and really horrible and really harsh. So, but Lord, either if, if this person needs to hear it, either tell me how to say it or tell someone else to say it and let me be the confirmer saying yes. 
that is from the Lord. Let someone else speak that. But I don't want it to fall. I don't want it to, to be lost. If I think God's telling me something, there's a purpose for it. So one of the, the things that blows me away is that Jesus lives his life entirely in the mold. We are told so much all the time, especially in education, but um, you know, with um, tech, we get a lot as well. You know, be innovative, be creative, think outside the square, think outside the square, think outside the square. Um, and you know, Jesus lived entirely within the mold. He did entirely what the Father willed for him. He lived the perfect life that was designed way back at the start of the earth that we read about way back in Genesis. He lives his life within the restrictions, within the box that God has given him. But whoa, you would never ever say he lived a boring life. I mean, imagine. Anna, your best friend died. You couldn't get there immediately because there were some other things you were doing. It just took you time to get there. But when you went up there, you got to say, hey, yep, identified the body in the morgue. Get up. Come on, we're going now. And the person gets up and you go off with them. I mean, that's not a boring life. That you're teaching at a school and you discover most of your students don't have lunch today. One student does. We've got their packed lunch, but the others don't. And you go, that's fine. Just multiply the lunch that's there. I mean, honestly, I think there are so many teachers in New Zealand who would, well, in the world, who would die to be able to do something like that. And we have so many students who come to school hungry. Just, this is not a boring life. We've been sold a lie to think that living inside the mold that God has made, living inside this body that God has given me, is a letdown, is a disappointment, is less than. Oh, if only I had a body like this person. If only I was sporty like that person. If only I could make sentences properly like this person. You know, um, that's, not, that's not what God gave me. And God's not there going, oh, you're a disappointment. Because that's not how God operates. Many years ago, and I had to call on mum again for this, mum took some notes in my Bible that she was borrowing. And... Um, I carried that piece of paper around long after the Bible fell apart. Um, but it was just some, some um, notes she took. I don't know whether she took them from a Bible study or a meeting, but she only had my Bible with her, which was how I ended up with the notes. Um, but it was about how to um, discern, is this really from God? And, you know, yeah, the, oh, you're such a disappointment to me. That's not going to be from God. 
just going to say that. It doesn't ring true with anything that he says. So, um, Romans 8, really good place to go to when you're checking. You know, if someone's got a word for you, or you've got a word for someone, and you're, you're weighing up. Is this, is this right? Does it condemn? Because Romans 8 tells us there is no condemnation in Christ because through Christ, the law of the Spirit that gives us life has set us free. So it doesn't condemn. It brings freedom. And it witnesses with the Spirit. You see all of that in Romans 8. And Philippians 4, 7 and 8. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let peace be the umpire. Is it built on love? Does it have a foundation of love? Does it align with scripture? And it says, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was in God. It needs to align with the word. And sometimes it will be hard. And it might not condemn, but it might convict. And God's not disappointed with you, but you may feel that disappointment. But in that, listen up. Because in Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs, we're encouraged. The Lord disciplines those he loves and chastens those he accepts as his son. Again, I know as a teacher, the worst thing where I have to really watch myself is when I give up on students. When I think I have told them and told them and shown them and sat by with them and worked with them and nothing. I can't be bothered anymore. Because that's, that's rejection. That's not God. And that's where I really need to press into God. Because the Lord never gives up on us. If you are working with him, at any point you can go and he will correct and he will chasten. But it is from a foundation of love. It is because he can see, he knows his will is for the best for you. He wants you to run the race well. So finally, um, you know, we took communion before and that's remembering Christ on the cross. We took, it took his 
body and his blood in remembrance. But this week, and as we go out, I want us to take the other communion. The communion of the living water and the communion of the food of doing the will of the Father. And as we go about our day and our week, ask God to show you what he is doing. Listen to what he is saying and obey his will. And that is the ultimate communion. Um, if you do want prayer regarding anything here, um, I'd really encourage you to take this. But I just want to take a few minutes now to pray. Um, yeah, to pray. So, Lord, we thank you that, that you have given us um, your, your physical body, that you sacrifice that physical body for us, and that we can remember it with the, the bread and the wine, but, Lord, also that we can now step, step forward and step out each day, drinking of your living water and partaking of the food that is the will of the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see what you are doing so that like Jesus said, I'm doing what I see the Father doing. And that you will open our ears to hear so that we will hear, recognize your voice and hear you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Hopefully some snooker balls landed in some pockets. <laughs> Bless you.